Well, good morning. How you doing? Good? Y'all enjoying the brisk weather? Yeah? How many of you, I asked this in the first service, but how many of you um, decorate for the fall? Good. More here, even though there's more here that decorates than there were. I know you do. I saw pictures of yours. Yeah. Um, yeah, more here than in the first service. Yeah, so that's, that's good. We like to decorate for fall. Um, <laughs> we like to decorate for fall, too. Uh, I really don't know where to, where to, where to start exactly. Um, because last service, something happened with the microphone. We had to, we had to switch some things out, so I, I just went into a little thing and then came back. But anyway, nonetheless, uh, we're starting a series called The Playbook. Uh, today, it's going to go for the next couple of weeks. It's actually one big sermon that's chopped up into a couple of weeks. So, so this is the introduction uh, segment of this particular sermon. Because I didn't think that y'all would want to be here till maybe three or four this afternoon. So, so we chopped it up a little bit to make it make it a little more doable at the time. So, I uh, I know that a lot of people from time to fi- time feel very defeated. And over the last, the course of the last couple of months, I think there's been a lot of people that have felt defeated. We've been at a different moment in our society. Our rhythms are off. Like we were not able to celebrate some things that we normally celebrate throughout the year. There's some rituals that we do during the year. We weren't able to do them the same. Fireworks, not able to see fireworks. Wasn't able to get together at certain times. Um, vacation probably felt a little bit weird to everybody this year. You you went to the beach, but when you went out, I mean, we're, you know, it's that COVID environment. And no matter what you feel about it, it was that COVID environment that you went into. And so, and so that can make us feel very defeated. But sometimes people feel defeated because of things that are happening in their life as well. And it weighs on their shoulders. And they're just wondering if, if God is really real, if God is really there, if, if God is even helping me out at all. So to start, I want to give you a couple of quotes from some people to give you some encouragement uh, when you feel defeated. Here's the first one. Character consists of what you do on the third and fourth tries. So the trial you're going through has nothing to do with your character. It's how you respond to that trial. And that character comes through on the third and fourth tries. Here's the next one. It always seems impossible until it's done. You ever been there? We are not going to get this done. But then you get it done, and you're like, oh, it was possible after all. So it always seems impossible until it's done. So that can be a way. Next. You just can't beat the person who won't give up. You just can't pe- beat the person that won't give up. I have been playing a lot of ping pong with my son. And um, what I'll do from time to time as a strategy is he will get ahead of me, and it'll be something like 18 to 11. Like if I think he's getting better, this is what I do. He, he gets, it'll be 18 to 11, and then... I will focus in and I'll catch up, right? And so when I get to 1817, all of a sudden he, 
I'm just not going to win. I have not been able to get any more points. So you can see it in his demeanor. So you can see the defeat coming in. And then you get 18, and then you get 19, then you get 20, and then you get 21, and I'll win, right? Because you just can't beat the person that don't give up. Now, he has beat me. We played plenty of times. He's only beat me three times, only three times. So it's a psychological sort of game. Yeah, I know, I know, listen. I have never allowed my children to beat me at any game. I think it's good for their demeanor. They need to learn how to be a loser, right? And be a good one, right? They need to learn that. They can't be a winner all the time. I can't hand them a game. So when they beat me, they know they have done something, right? It's a, mm, instead of, you know, a participation trophy because I just let them have it. Okay, so I'll back up here. He's only beat me three times. Now, he's getting better and better and better. So I'm having to actually start thinking about how I'm going to start serving and returning his serve. He has this wicked serve that he has. I hope he's not watching this. I didn't say this in the last service because he was here. But he has this wicked serve that spins, and it does a, it does a zigzag when it hits the table, and you just can't prepare for that. Like, you, you like when he does it, you just can't prepare for that. So it's like three points he gets when he first starts that until I can get across the thing. But the reason, all, all coming right back, the reason he can't beat me all the time is because I don't give up. And every time he has beaten me, he knows that there's going to be another game. And he knows I will never give up. I will, I will play my hardest. I will play him my hardest. He knows that. So the next thing is just that level of competition. You just can't beat the person who won't give up. No matter what you're going through, do not give up. Do not let it defeat you. You just can't beat the person who won't give up. Next. Most of the important things in the world have been accomplished by people who have kept on trying when there seemed to be no hope at all. Hope is gone, can't see the hope, but they kept on doing it. And what they find is there's a breakthrough at a particular point in time, and it's amazing what has been accomplished. They worked through that feeling of no hope, and they got to a better day. Next. You can dance in the storm, but don't wait for the rain to be over before, because it might take too long. I have a friend of mine that during this season where we were quarantined, every Friday night, she had a dance party with her family. I know we're Baptist. But let me tell you a secret. David danced in the Bible. And when we get to heaven, we're going to dance. And it's not just the Pentecostals. Letting you know. Okay, so back, back to this. So you can dance in the storm. Listen, your view of a trial at some point, as hard as it might be, needs to be a celebration that you are growing in your faith, a celebration that God is with you in that trial. It may feel like you can't dance. It might feel like you don't want to celebrate that. It might feel like the worst thing and it's taking you down. But if you have a dance party in the middle of your storm, the very next day, that trial will look totally different. It'll look totally different because you've rejoiced that you're able to grow during this time. And the very next day, 
You'll look at your trial differently. Here's another one. The enemy fights the hardest when you are closest to your breakthrough. Know that your best days are ahead and no weapon formed will prosper. Next. Do not give up on yourself when God has not given up on you. So let's take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We'll begin reading with verse 10. So Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. And this is what it says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Finally, be strong in the Lord. That particular word, Uh, strong from the Greek means to be empowered by the Lord. So it's not just be strong in the Lord, it's be empowered by the Lord. In other words, tap in to the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. Be empowered in the Lord. The same power that rose him from the dead is the same power that's available to you during your trial. So be strong in the Lord. See, you're right in in the sense of during your trial, you might not have the strength to get through it. You don't have the strength to get through it. So you lean on Jesus, you get empowered in God, and you get that power so that you can make it through your particular trial. Empowered in the Lord. It's It's an action, empowered with the Lord. This continues, it says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The schemes of the devil. The first thing I want to note in this particular verse is number one, the devil is real. The devil is real. There is um, a lot of people that have different Uh, viewpoints on the devil. Some do not even believe that he exists at all. But I'm here to tell you the devil exists. If you think the evil in this world is just because we're human, it's not just because we're human. There's something else going on in the world. And there's an evil that we cannot see that is guiding and directing things. The devil is real. He's real. Some people believe the devil too much. They start dabbling in, in what the devil wants them to dabble in, or they start worshiping the devil. I mean, there's actual people that say, I worship the devil, which, which is amazing to me that you would say that and not want to worship God, that you would want to be on the wrong side of things. But nonetheless, there's people that take it way too seriously. But then there's people who don't think it's that big of a deal that there is a devil, so they do play around with some stuff they shouldn't play around. And if this is, this is stuff that they shouldn't play, they, they still play around with it. Like, for instance, a, a Ouija board is something that you don't, don't play around with. There's something else going on with that, with that board. There's, there's something else happening with Dungeons and Dragons. There's, there's something else happening with certain things that are tied in with the satanic church. And you don't mess with those. You, you don't play with those. You leave those things alone. And then there's people that are just scared to death of the devil. They're scared to death of Satan. 
Of the four, yeah, okay, if you're scared to death, that's great. But you, you shouldn't be too scared of the devil. The devil is more powerful than you are, but he's not more powerful than Jesus. He's not. So he's not something that you take lightly, but he's also not something that you say, hey, the, the devil's going to win this thing one day. No, he's not going to win it one day. The devil exists, but he's not God's equal. See, we see things all the time, yin and yang, and the, and the black part would be the evil and the white part would be the good, and it's kind of a balance. Listen, there is no balance of good and evil. It's a bunch of good and a little bit of evil called Satan's world. That's all it is, because God is bigger than all this. To us, it doesn't feel that way. To us, it feels like evil's winning and evil's all-consuming. But I'm telling you, in light of eternity and God, it is very, very small. So evil doesn't have anything on Jesus. It would be bigger than me playing Michael Jordan in basketball. He would kill me. Absolutely kill me, right? That's kind of the closest picture you can come up with. I would look like an idiot. Michael would look awesome. And he's an old man. And would still, you talk about ping pong, I wouldn't even get to three times beating him, right? And he'd probably play with me a little bit. Like, let me have a couple of shots. I don't know. I don't know the man. Probably not. Next, the devil. Listen to me. The devil is a liar. He's a liar. And he's good at it. He can make you think that the wrong is right and the right is wrong. And he does it so well. He can convince you of a pathway that is correct. And he can convince you of taking that path and that you're doing the right thing and that you're pursuing the right sorts of stuff. He can get in your mind and convince you of a way to go. And it's not the way to go. But all the while you feel like that it's the way to go. He is such a good liar. He never tells you the truth. And if he does tell you the truth, it's just for his own benefit because he's going to take that little bit of truth and spin it a certain way so you feel good about this because he said this. So he takes truth out of context even. He's a deceiver. He's a liar, so don't believe him. Finally, and before we move on, I want you to know that the devil doesn't love you. He doesn't love you. Jesus loves you. You see, Jesus loved you so much that he sacrificed his life for you. The devil wants to sacrifice your life for his benefit. Two totally different ways of viewing you. The devil does not love you. He doesn't. Jesus does. Jesus does. So verse 12 says, I mean, verse 11 Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. The schemes there is methods of the devil. It's like he has a playbook and he's going to these schemes, he's going to these plays, and he's uh, executing them on you and on me. And I'm telling you, his playbook doesn't just have one play in it. It has a ton of plays in it. 
And he takes out those little things and he schemes against you to get you off track so that you will not follow Jesus. And he is so good at it. He is a master schemer. He is a master planner. He's a master attacker. He is amazing in that regard. And he can get you. Why am I saying that he's, he's amazing? Is because I know in my own life, he gets me. He gets me. And, I, and sometimes I don't even see him coming. And he gets me. And he schemes and he weaves his way into my life. We have to be careful with him. He schemes. Verse 12 says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers and against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Um, what I see right now is real but it's not everything. There's something else going on in this room. Right now, in this moment, there is spiritual warfare in this building. There's angels battling demons. There is good, which is God, battling the evil in this room. And what, what they're trying to do is, is two totally different things. The, the demons want to distract us and get our mind off a message. The demons want to distract you into thinking about what you're going to eat in a few moments or, or what you're going to do this afternoon or, or the jobs that you have at home or, or they want to get you distracted on, on thinking something else. They want to give you spiritual ADD so that you don't listen to this. And on the other side, there's angels in the room and principalities and powers that are trying to get your attention focused on the word of God. It's a battle that goes on every Sunday. It's a battle that I know happens in this circumference. Because my mind can go different places while I'm preaching as well. And it is a battle. And so there is a battle in the room. It is great today that we prayed three times in our service. I don't know if you counted. But it's great that we prayed. Because it is the power of prayer that causes us to be focused, that causes God to move, that causes God to do things in our hearts. We've asked him to be here and he'll honor that prayer. It is God that comes in and God that's trying to focus you on the truths of scripture so that you can have a better life. There is a war going on in the room and make no mistake, there's a playbook on the bad side and there is a playbook on the good side. And they're all fighting for your souls. If you're a Christian, trying to get you distracted. If you're not a Christian, they're trying to make sure that you do not receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. And so it would happen something like this. You feel convicted to ask forgiveness of your sins, receive Jesus as your Savior, but then, ah, I don't want to do it now. I want to do it, but I think I'll do it later. Or it makes you think thoughts of, well, when, when I get my life right, I'll ask Jesus to be my Savior. When, when I get this right in my life, when I start living correctly, when I correct this, when I do, when I do this, that, or the other, that's when I'll receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. I'm telling you this morning, that is a lie from Satan. There is nothing that you have to do to get yourself ready to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. You realize you're a sinner, you ask him for a relationship, and it's done, it's over. It doesn't matter where you are. Because salvation is 
reaching down and lifting you up out of sin and placing you into new life in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it is. The only thing that you have to do is believe. Nothing else. You don't have to get ready for it. Don't let that prevent you from receiving Jesus. Do not delay. Verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day, having done it all to stand firm. Now, how many of you have gone to a store? I know you have. And there's a sign on the door that says, practice social distancing and put on your mask. By the authority of Governor Roy Cooper. That's what it says, right? And so people, they, they go in, we, we social distance. Some people put on a mask, some people don't, but they put on there and they're abiding by this particular truth. You know what I think? I think people are more concerned about their physical health than they are their spiritual health. That's what I think. And they're willing to do whatever it takes to make sure that they don't get sick physically, but they're not willing to do everything that it takes to make sure they don't get sick spiritually. I also think that on every door of every home going in to the home and out of the home should be a sign that says, put your armor on by the authority of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And so you go out into the world with your armor on and you don't leave it. And you go back into your house with your armor on because you still need it in the home. You still need it. You don't take your armor off. You put on the breastplate of righteousness. You lift up the shield of faith. You hold the sword. You have the sandals. You're ready to go at any moment because no matter where you are, there's a battle for your soul that you cannot see and you need to be properly equipped. You need to have the protection of the armor of God on. By the way, it's not your armor. Did you know that? It's not yours. It's been freely given to you by Jesus Christ. He has made it. You know what this means? It means it works. It doesn't fail. It also means that there's no upgrades. The armor I have, the spiritual armor, the shield, and and the spiritual stuff that he's given me doesn't need an upgrade on its firmware. It doesn't need another program to make it better. It's already strong enough to take care of the spiritual warfare that's happening so that I will not be touched by the enemy at all. I just have to wear it. You can debate all you want to, whether or not masks work or they don't work. I don't care. I really don't care about that debate. I'll tell you where there's no debate. It's about if the armor works or not. It works. You put it on when you leave. You put it on when you come home. You wear it. I think it's fine that we're concerned about our physical well-being, that's perfectly fine. I think you need to be more concerned about your spiritual well-being. Put that armor on and wear that. Verse 16, if we can jump there, says, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. This is interesting here. The flaming darts are interesting. Um, Back in the day, the uh, more important people had the better shields. They were not made of wood. 
Have you ever seen a wooden shield? Anybody? Nobody in here has ever seen a wooden shield? Y'all should have played with your children. I had plenty of wooden shields in my house, right? And you'd pick them up and you'd, yeah. Okay, so the important people would have like the bronze shield, the silver shields, the, the ones that would actually never burn. The, the less important people in the army would have shields that might have been covered with some type of metal, maybe a little bit of bronze so that when the fiery darts came, they wouldn't go all the way in. But the problem with that is when the fiery darts came and they stuck into the shield, it would melt whatever they dipped it in. So after it hit it a bunch of times, eventually it would get to the shield and the shield would actually burn up because it was made of wood. So when he's using the terms fiery darts of of Satan, what he's saying is there's something coming at your shield to take care of that shield and make you put it down, to make you discard it. Now, as we know, the shield of faith that you raise is not something that's going to burn. It's not something that's going to fail. But the more darts that come, the more chances you have of of you yourself just putting the shield on the ground and not not messing with it at all. So these fiery darts is is what's put in your direction. Now, it's not a physical war, war. It's a spiritual war. And there's scheming going on. So what happens is that Satan starts putting these ideas in your mind and you decide to put down your shield of faith. So the fiery darts actually works here in your mind and what you see. And then you start leaving your shield down and your your sword down and your breastplate of righteousness down. And and before too long, you're not wearing any of the armor, but you may, in fact, think that you have it on because the devil is a liar and he can make you think you're wearing clothes and you're not wearing your armor. Have you ever read that story about the king that was invisible and everybody told him he was invisible so he walked around with no clothes on? Right. He didn't have any on. Thank, yeah, school teacher. It's been a while. <laughs> so I read that story. Yeah. You need to have your armor on and not let him get these schemes in. What are these schemes? What are these darts? Let's talk about that those a few minutes. Now, listen, this is an introduction. I'm going to give you a lot of the schemes today, but the next couple of weeks, we're just going to take one scheme and unpack it for the whole sermon. But I want to at least talk about these. Okay? First... This is a scheme. He wants to get you more dependent on your emotions than on facts. He wants to get you more dependent on your emotions than facts. See, emotions have the ability to make you think that what you're feeling is real, to make you think what you're feeling is a fact when all the while it's not a fact, it's something very false. So he wants you to focus on how you feel about something, how you feel about this, how you feel about that. And if he can get you there, he can get you away from truth. Next, he wants to make you become more religious. Okay, that's a scheme. He wants to make you become more religious. So in scripture, it would be the Pharisee at the back of the room saying, oh, Lord, I'm thankful that I'm not like one of those people, right? 
And he really believed that. So that so Satan and his scheming had got into the mindset of the religious leaders to make them think that they were better than everybody else that they were, they were working with. And so he felt very comfortable saying that in, in the sanctuary, that I'm, I'm better than them. I have a feeling that Christians do this sometimes. They just don't stand in church and do it. See somebody do this, and they're like, oh, I'm better than them. I'm glad I don't have that lifestyle. I'm glad I didn't fall like they fell. You know? And all of a sudden, you've got that little religion thing worked into your soul, and that's called pride. You see, Jesus didn't save you so you could be better at religion. He saved you so you could have his life, his holiness, his righteousness. And that is where we need to operate. Am I better at ping pong than Quinn? Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely better. But he is just as big of a sinner as I am. Right? So gloat over the right things when you beat somebody in ping pong, but don't gloat about spiritual superiority. That's Satan creeping in. Third, he wants to undermine marriages. The way he does this, he does this a little bit at a time. They're darts, remember, a little bit at a time. So let me explain how that goes on a day that, that I might live, okay? And what I'm about to tell you is reality, okay? This happens to me, me. Now, if you want to vote me out after this, it's fine, but this is what happens to me, Okay? I wake up in the morning, alarm goes off, I'm doing great. But then my feet hit the floor and a dart comes into my heart about something. I don't know what it would be. I can't give you really an example of that right now, but I'll give you some other examples in a minute. But a dart comes in and, and I'll let it in, right? And I start thinking, hmm. So I go take my shower, go get ready, get, in, get into um, the groove of my devotions. I do my devotions but before I get to my devotions, another thing hits me. The microwave isn't clean. Oh, good night. I cannot believe that Nicole eats stuff out of this thing. And I'm trying to, and this, and you know, it's kind of that, you know what I mean? And so I get my Windex out, I clean the microwave, and then I can make my grits. By the way, grits is always plural. I've never seen a grit. Have you ever seen one? Never seen a grit. It's always grits. Yeah, so you do your grits. You sit down, you do your devotions, right? And then I'm doing fine because I've had my devotions. You know, I've, I've asked forgiveness of my sins. I've, I've done that. I've had a time with God. I get into my car, and lo and behold, there's a traffic circle. At this traffic circle, there's a person that thinks that why, I don't even know how to spell it, yield is spelled S-T-O-P. So they sit there. And in my heart, I'm like, can't they read? There's nobody coming. School's, school's not even in in Forsyth County. There's no traffic, you know? So go, go, go. And so they go. And in my mind, another dart comes in, and it's this. I bet you they are going to stop. They're going to, wait, wait. They're going to yield at that stop sign right there. I bet you money they're going to do that. 
because they think yield means stop and stop means yield. And lo and behold, they roll right through that stop sign. And I'm thinking, why couldn't you do that at the circle? Right? These little darts start, start hitting your soul, right? You make it to work. And I work in a great place. I mean, this is a great place to work, right? And I come in, and during the day, just little dot, darts hit, hit my heart. It, it might be something I have to deal with here, or, or it might be something else. But these little darts hit me, you know, sometimes all day at work. And so I get in my car, and I go home, and I open the door, and I'm ripe, as ripe as a baby's diaper that's been left in one of those rooms since Sunday, and I smell it on Monday. I'm ripe and ready to go. And I walk in, right, and Nicole just says something. It doesn't matter what she says. I am going to take it the wrong way because I've allowed darts to hit my soul all day long. And it's at that moment that I explode. See, I did well all day long. Caught myself, thought I asked forgiveness for it because he can deceive you into thinking you asked forgiveness for something you didn't really ask forgiveness. Do you know what I mean? And you, you think you're doing good, but you get home and you, you just, oh, and it just oozes out of you, right? He has set that up all day long because one of his number one targets in my life is my marriage. And I would take it to the bank that it's also a number one target that he has of yours. Now, Nicole, who isn't here, but I can say this, I can tell when she has left and gone to work and she's had demon dogs. I know you love your dogs, but there's some demon dogs. I know when she's had a tough time with these dogs in her trailer, I can see it. I can see when she gets out of the van because this is just how I'm wired. I'm like, oh my goodness, she had, a, she had some tough dogs today. She may have even gotten bit. She's gotten bit several times by these dogs, right? And she's just had a tough time. And so she walks in the door and she is ripe. She is ripe and ready to go. And she smells bad, literally, because of what she's done all day. And in her soul, all these darts have hit her and hit her and hit her because of these demon. Look, listen, if Jesus can put demons in pigs, demons can get into dogs, right? And so she comes in and she's right because he's trying to take you out a little at the time. It's not a big thing. It's not a big thing that he's trying to get us to accomplish. We're good with the big things. We can, we can stop the big things from happening, but it's a combination of all these little things that makes us, and he gets us, and he schemes, and he does that playbook, and we get home, and it's over. He, he, he won that round. He won that round. He schemes in that way. Be careful about all that. A couple more. Um, same old, same old. Well, it's the same old, same old. I'm so tired of the same old, same old. Is there something else? Same old, same old. You know, when I first realized that this was something in my life, because I really didn't, I was clueless for a long time. Might still be clueless. I just don't know if I'm clueless. So, because that would be the definition of clueless, right? right. So, so you, you get married, right? You go on the honeymoon. It's awesome. It's just incredible. And then you get home. Oh, come on. You get home and things, it's just, it's like anticlimactic when you get home. 
Now she does certain things that you don't like, right? It's anticlimactic. Same old, same old. Oh, my goodness, same old, same old. Okay, we're going to move on. The next one, this sin will not hurt me. He weaves that into our minds. It's a scheme of his. This sin will not hurt me. Ladies and gentlemen, it doesn't matter what the sin is or how private it was. It hurts you. The way I know that is because with each sin that you do, there is a sound of a hammer and a nail going into my Savior. It hurts you. He died for the littlest of sins and the biggest of sins. It hurts. It will hurt you. Next, a scheme is to get you to not think about what you're doing. Man, he, he gets me on this sometimes. I'll just give you an illustration. Make it home or wherever. I'm just making an illustration. I get home, I'm not even thinking, right? I'm thinking, but I'm not really thinking. And I'm drawn to something that isn't right. I'm drawn to it. And before too, too long, I'm doing it. And for about an hour and a half, I've been doing it. And all of a sudden, I'm like, why am I doing this? Have you ever been there? Ever been there? And you wonder how in the world you got there? How in the world did I get this upset at Nicole? How have I carried this on my shoulders for this long and didn't even think about if it was right or wrong, didn't even have that concept in my mind. I'm just all of a sudden here and I'm like, oh my goodness, I didn't even think. And that's a scheme of the devil. If he can get you not to think and into something, he's got you because this is what he knows. The Holy Spirit is gonna tell you that's wrong before you get to it. But if he can get you to not think about it, you'll be there before you know it because he knows that your flesh is going to lead you here. You're gonna feel like it's the right thing to do. You're not gonna even see that anything is wrong with it. You're gonna be in the mess before you even know that you're going into the mess. The good news for me and for you is this. When I get to the mess, my heavenly father does not let me go but so far. And he stops me. That's the reason that I'm like, wait a minute, how did I get here? It's because the Holy Spirit has started tugging on my heart and I'm convicted. And so then it's all, I'm sorry. And you repent and you get back to where you need to be. You say you're sorry to whoever you need to say you're sorry to in the home and you make it right. Be careful when you don't think because when you don't think, that's when Satan is going to just let your flesh take you where it wants to go. And he's perfectly fine with that because he doesn't love you, but Jesus does. A couple more. Make sure that their perception is their reality. Take them out of an environment and put them in another environment where they feel that they're, they're free, right? And once you get them to where they think they're free and this is so much different than how they grew up, send a professor in to tell them something that's against the Bible and against scripture and against how they were raised so that they can work their magic on their minds. And all of a sudden we have people that totally let go of the faith and they go into this because this sounds so good, but it is so bad. 
and he works that way. There's a time in our life when we're young that we get to that nobody we ever listened to in the past was correct, and we're right. And it's a certain amount of time that that happens. Be careful with that period of time in your life. That's when Satan weaves stuff into your life and thoughts and beliefs that really shouldn't be there. Be careful about that. It's a strategy. Um, right before I get to where I'm trying to go today, here's one. Let them criticize things. You see, if Satan can get you to criticize something, he can get you to detach from it. I've seen this happen in churches. People start complaining about the church. Well, that's Satan working. It, it's making them detach from the church. See, there's a difference between constructive criticism and complaining. Complaining is you're just complaining and you're just doing it because you like the feeling of being upset at something. And the, oh, I cannot believe that happened. You're, you're addicted to that particular feeling in your life. Constructive criticism is this. Hey, there's not enough people doing welcome team at the church. Yeah, that's a problem. I think I can fix that. See, when you criticize, constructive criticism is, this is wrong, let's work out a solution. Complaining is, this is wrong, 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 and there's no solution. This is what Satan uses to get us to detach from things. Be careful of this. So finally, where I want to be. So just, here we go. Satan uses what I like to call self-reflection in people's lives. Self-reflection. And it goes something like this. Aurora had a school teacher in Forsyth County that every summer she would go out west to find herself. Every summer to find herself. Let that, let that roll around your mouth. So my first thought, because you know I have all kinds of thoughts, okay? My first thought is this. Okay, so the teacher this year found herself. She started the semester teaching my daughter. At what point in the four quarters does she lose herself so she has to find herself again this next summer? Was it early in the first quarter? Was it in mid-quarter of the second one? Was it the third quarter? I mean, was it the fourth quarter and she's done and she's like, I just don't know what to do with myself. I don't know who I am. I need to go find myself. If I ever was to walk into my house even now and tell my father that I needed to go find myself, he would look at me and say, you're right there. <laughs> you're right there. It's crazy. The devil wants you to go find yourself because for some reason, you're not satisfied with whatever's going on. So you go find yourself. Listen, I already know who I am. I already know who I am. I don't have to go find myself. First, I'm a child in the kingdom of God. That's not gonna go anywhere. That's there. That's my identity. That is who I am. Second, I'm a husband I'm a husband. Third, I'm a father. Fourth, 
I'm a pastor of a church. That is who I am. That is my identity. It follows in that order. I don't need to go find myself. I need to work. I need to work. Let me go through that backwards. Pastor, I don't know if you know this or not, but it's not as easy as it looks. It's not. It is work to be a pastor. There's a lot of things that you, you have to make sure in your life are right. You deal with a lot of stuff on a, on a global scale. There's a lot of stuff that comes on your shoulders that you do not share with other people. You cannot share with other people because you want those people that have shared it with you to work through that particular time in their life and get to help. And if you start blasting it in church, they can't do that. They don't have the security. They don't have the privacy to deal with what they need to deal with privately. Is this making sense? And so you, you have a lot of things on your shoulders. There are things that my wife does not know that I deal with on a, on a regular basis. She just doesn't know. She knows about some things, but she doesn't know about everything. So if you have talked to me and you go up to her and you start talking to her like I've talked to her, you're going to quickly find out she has no clue what you're talking about. And she will tell you that. Because that's who she is. I don't, what are you saying? What? Oh, I don't know. He didn't tell me. That's what she, that's the conversation that will happen. But there's a lot of things that has to happen here. There's a lot of spiritual warfare. There's a lot of praying. There's a lot of crying. There's a lot of rejoicing. I rejoice today because I met with somebody that accepted Christ three weeks ago. That's awesome. Second to that is when you get to hold a baby. The Woodrings had a baby. I'm going to go to their house sometime and I'm going to hold that little baby. Those those are the times that you're like, yeah, this is, this is the life right here. Oh, yeah. But then there's other times that you, it just breaks your heart. Are, are you with me? So there's enough for me. I don't need to go find myself. I have enough work to do right here. And I know where I'm at. Next, I'm a father. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but my child, my first one, did not come with an owner's manual. Nothing. I know that I have what to teach her, what's right and what's wrong, but in the scripture, it doesn't tell you how to change diapers, what to do when their nose is right. It doesn't tell you any of that. So we raised, we started raising Aurora and, and, you know, she didn't come with an owner's manual and we were just trying to figure out, figure it out as we went along, right? And she got to three and lo and behold, we're going to have another one. And I'm excited because we have experience right? And we're going we're gonna to take the experience that we did with Aurora, and we're going to do that with our new boy, Quinn. And Quinn's, Quinn's born, and I quickly realized that Aurora is like an owner's manual to a microwave, right? And Quinn is like an owner's manual to an air conditioning system, Two totally different ways to parent. Oh, come on. They are not the same. And each one, I think, should come with a manual that describes the way that you need to work on them. I think there should be a section in the manual that says, just in case this happens, he might do this, he might do that. Just in case this happens, she might do this, do that. I think we should have a manual. But lo and behold... You can't use the same manual for Aurora that you do for Quinn because they're different kids. So being a father is enough of an identity for me. I don't have to find myself. 
I know who I am. I've been blessed with two wonderful children and my job is to raise them as their dad. Husband. Wow. If there's a job that's harder than being a pastor, I love Nicole, being a pastor, okay, or being a father, it's being a husband. Guys, I don't know if you've realized this or not, they're different. They think different. Sometimes you can't figure them out. Sometimes, and I'm not trying to be any, like I'm not trying to put down, I love, obviously, I can't say I love women because that would have connotations, but I can say I love my wife. I, I just love that creation. Yeah, I love it. But man, she can say this here and come back an hour later and say something totally opposite. But to her, somehow, it, it's in this direction. Like, like, it's not even logical, but it just, it just kind of just flows. Like, this contradicts this, but it makes total sense to her. Like, that, no, there's no contradiction. And I'm sitting here thinking, this is totally opposite. What? I thought we were going here. You said you like this, but you're, what is going on? And so you have, to, you have to step back and you have to think about being a husband, how to work that out, how to figure out how she thinks, how to figure out how you think, and then just lead. And, and is everybody with me on this? This is tougher to figure out. If the two kids didn't come with Emmanuel, the wife didn't either. She just didn't. She just didn't. So it's just, it's odd how, how that works. So that's, that's, that's a very difficult thing. And not only is it difficult, but all the while Satan is throwing stuff at you, scheming against you. So you're trying to figure her out and Satan's throwing stuff at you and he messes it up. Like you're really trying to figure this out, but then he throws these darts at you and he just messes up the thing. So this is tough. But if all three of those are difficult, the most difficult job that you and I have is being a child of God. It's the most difficult job we have. The bar of perfection is so high, I can't even see it. And I strive for it every single day and I try to be the best child of his I can possibly be and I reach for it and reach for it and reach for it and I never attain it, I never get there. But this is what happens. Every day I work on it, and every day I reach for it, he transforms me more into the image of Jesus Christ and who I should be. And so I progress, but I never attain. And it's an ongoing job to do that. And what Satan wants to do more than anything is he wants to stop that process of my transformation. And so he works in my job as a husband and he works in my job as a husband, I mean, as a father and he works in my job as a pastor so that he can mess it up here so I can't reach here to obtain what Jesus Christ died for me to be. Be careful with the scheming of the devil. Don't let him get inside your brain. Don't let him take you places you don't want to go or you shouldn't go. Stick with Jesus, follow him, have your identity in him and nothing else. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this message out of Ephesians. 
thank you for the armor that you give us that protects us from the attacks and the schemes that come from his playbook. I pray for this this morning for the person in the room that, that struggles with this, that he's got them. I pray, Father, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll release them, that you'll help them, that you will show your love to them. If it's the person in the room that's looking down on someone, I pray, Father, that you, by the power of your spirit, help them to let go of that. They don't need to be that religious. I pray, Father, that if we're somehow deceived into thinking that we're okay and we're not, pray, Father, that you will take those scales off our eyes and let us see what we need to commit to. Let us see what we need to deal with so that we can make things right between you and us. Father, I pray for each person in this room that from the time they leave here to the next time that we meet, they'll be very conscious of putting on the armor, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the sword of the spirit, the helmet of salvation, the feet that are supposed to take the gospel to the world and gain ground. Help us, Father, by the power of your Holy Spirit to be more concerned about our spiritual health than we are our physical health. If we're going to protect one, we better protect the other. And if we can only protect one, help us to choose the spiritual world in that fight. So we leave these requests at the feet of the cross the blood that was shed and the life that you offer in hopes that you will continue to work in our lives and we know that you will. So we ask all these things, we pray in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand and sing. I'm here today if you need me to pray for you. The altar is also open. So as we sing the verse of this song,